Today's class is dedicated um, So it's a tremendous honor to be dedicated in memory of a man who is, he and his family has really helped in a tremendous way to build a lot of the infrastructure of our community and the infrastructure of the Jewish world. And, you know, it's, like I said, I haven't been in Israel for a while. Maybe it's time to get back there. But when you go on the way to the Kotel and you see his name, Purat Yosef, you feel like a part of our community is everywhere. So it's a tremendous honor for our words to be dedicated in memory of a man who did so much and meant so much and whose family means so much to our community. And it's dedicated by his, his grandson, Eddie Shehebar, who's his wife and my wife are first cousins. And Eddie is a man who's young, but old and strong in many ways and producing a lot and giving a lot and involved in a lot. And B'zat Hashem, Hashem should give you and your wife, Eddie and your wife, Maisie Beracha, your children, grandchildren, B'zat Hashem, only see happiness and success and they should live up to the Shehebar standards. Amen. Also, today, we should have the same procedure. Hashem should give him a speedy recovery. Amen. So, last Tuesday night, I had a group of like 30, about 20-year-old girls that came to bake with my wife. And then after that, they wanted a class from me. So they went to the kitchen. When I came home, they were, they said, okay, Rabbi, now we're ready for a class. So they came to the dining room, and we're going to do like a question and answer type class. And they sat all in the whole dining room, living room, whatever. And they said, here's our question. Where does, how far does Hishtadut go? How much work am I supposed to put in? I'm assuming they're referring to the fact that they're single girls. Every one of them wants to be married yesterday. And they like, how much effort, how much energy, how much time, how much work am I supposed to put in? And it's not a question just for single girls. It's really a question for any person in a job, in any area of your life that's meaningful to you. You put in a lot of work. How much work is the amount that you're supposed to put in? And how much work is too much and how much work is too little and and how do I view the hard work that the world seems to be requiring us to do because life requires more and more hard work as easy as it's become it's become that much harder and so how much work am I supposed to just collapse and work how much work am I supposed to do and I think it it's added to the fact when you see so many things happen that are sometimes out of our hands. Marriages happen, we control it, we don't control it. People, whether we like it or not, people get sick. We have stories in our community that are, I don't know, sad or bother us, like what happened, how that happened, the person's young, the person's uh, it's a kid, why are they in the hospital? I thought COVID's over, why are, there, why are stuff still happening? And I think with that backdrop, is part of helping us will contribute to help us try to see like how much effort am I supposed to put in? That's really the question we have in a nutshell. And I hope by the time we're done tonight, today, you'll have strength 
in regards to whichever area of your life this applies. Because it's pretty likely that this applies to something in your life, and hopefully you'll have strength in that regard based on what we talk about today. So I want to tell you the answer that I gave to those girls at the table. I said, Hashem created the world perfect. When he created Adam Harishon, the world was perfect. Everything was great. Food was served to him. He had servants of animals that were servants of his that gave him food, that gave him drink. He didn't have to worry about clothing. They didn't have to worry about housing. They didn't have to worry about money or income. Everything was perfect. And then man sinned. And when man sinned, Hashem cursed him or told him, you're going to have to work hard. There's going to be frustration. You're going to have to work really, really hard. Most people think that now the world transferred from Hashem made a perfect world to now he made a working, stressful, frustrating world. The answer is no. The same original world is still here. The same world in all its perfection, the way Hashem wanted it to be, and his complete control is still here. A side thing that he told you also you need to do is you also need to work very hard. But the very hard work and the control of the world are not connected to one another. They don't, they're not affiliated. There's work and there's Hashem's control. They're two separate entities, two separate things. I need to work very hard because that's Hashem's commandment. That's Hashem's curse, so to speak, to humanity or the need that humanity has that humanity needs to work. That's why no one succeeds without having a lot of work. No one's able to live life the way it's supposed to be lived without a lot of work. There needs to be a lot of work. But Hashem is still completely in control. They're not affiliated to each other. This is why in our Tifilot, we often talk about Mitzrayim. We remember Mitzrayim, Yitziat Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt, freedom from Egypt, the Geulah, the redemption, splitting the sea. Why are we remembering Egypt every single day? The answer is because Egypt is not a memory. Egypt is happening right now. That right now, just like in Egypt, everyone acknowledges the work we did in Egypt did not get us out. We worked and Hashem took us out. The two things have nothing to do with each other. Our work and Hashem taking us out are not affiliated. Just like Egypt, the same thing is happening now. We're working, Hashem decides how He's taking us out, so to speak, how He's creating success, how He's delivering results. We're doing the work, He's delivering the results. No one would say that when we jumped into the sea, we split it. That's a joke. We jumped into the sea, that was our work, and then Hashem split it. Completely two unconnected things. Mitzrayim is not historic. Mitzrayim is current. And if you ask any person that has any level of success, be honest with me for a minute. How many times have you seen Hashem's miracles? Every one of them will tell you time and again, if they're honest, how much of Hashem's miracles are the things that deliver the results. So first thing you need to do is put your work in context. There's Hashem's results and there's your work. They don't, they're not hand in hand. They don't go together. One doesn't deliver the other. So, basically, based on that, is there such a thing as working too hard? The answer is absolutely yes. Because there is such a thing as working so hard that you think 
that you think that you're the one controlling this whole thing and that you're the one delivering those results. And there's a difference between work that understands what we just said, that understands the separation between work and results, and then work that doesn't understand the separation. When you have work that just thinks that your work is delivering all the results, it looks different and sounds different. I'll give you a mashal that Chavetz Chaim said. That Chavetz Chaim says, he says, you know what it's like that person who wants to overwork that person wants to work way more than what Hashem wants him to do. You know what it looks like? It's like someone who has this big um, vat or barrel of water. And there's a faucet with the water coming out. So the person says, there's not enough water in this barrel. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a hole and make another faucet with water coming out of the barrel. Is that going to produce more water in the barrel? That's, that's a joke, Right? So the same thing is true with you. You think you're going to do more work, create another faucet for Hashem's beracha? He's the source of the beracha. Doesn't need another faucet. He's you know your extra work is just how you're getting it. It's not about how he's giving it. He still can give as much as he wants. So the water is there. He doesn't need your help to make more faucets in order to produce it. I hope you, you got that analogy. Digested it good. So how do I know if I'm working too hard? How do I know if I'm putting in too much work? So I think the answer is this. When you see yourself spinning your wheels, that means when you see yourself doing the same again and again and again, and it's not getting anywhere, when you're spinning your wheels on something and it's really not working, then that might be the time either try something else or stop and leave it up to him. Because once you're spinning your wheels, you realize now it's, not go, it's, it's going too far. It's not, it's not working. And Hashem doesn't mean it's, not, it's never going to work. It means that... Hashem doesn't want you to sit there. There's no way that Hashem wants you to be on the bike and just spin the bike, spin the wheel around and around and around and not go anywhere. If that's what you find yourself, you're spinning your wheels, you're making seven calls to the same thing and it's not getting anywhere. You keep trying to do something and it's not happening. Again and again, it's not happening. You're not progressing. If you find yourself spinning your wheels, then you got to stop and sometimes leave it up to Hashem. And again, He may make it happen next week. I'm going to give you two examples. Two examples of where I personally got to see this. My father and my son. So first my father, and I may have told the story in this class before. Um, I'm not sure if I gave this part of the details, but I've told the story. My father had a stroke, it was about four summers ago. And then he had a second one, and then he went to Jersey Shore, which didn't do a great job. They sent him home after eight hours. He came home, and as he was walking into the house, and deal, this was in the summer, he's walking into the house, literally at the doorstep, he had another stroke. So we turned around, called out Salah, and sent him to Mahomet Medical. He went to Mahomet Medical, I think it was a Wednesday. He went to Mahomet Medical. He was there over Shabbat. Saturday night or Sunday, I don't remember, we go to Mahomet Medical. My siblings go to meet with the doctor who had looked over my father. He says, your father's situation is really very rough because there's two... Um, you know, blood vessels that go in the back and one is totally clogged and the other one is almost totally clogged and going to be clogged. So I don't know how blood is going to flow to his brain. We're like, thank you, Doc. Mazel tov. Great news. Um, we're out of here. So we moved him to Columbia. He stayed in Columbia for a few days. They monitored him. Nothing really, didn't really do anything. So we said, okay, we'll bring my father back home. I remember my sister and I in the car, and like every bump, we're nervous about like, what's going to happen? Like, what's, what's, what's going to be? We get home, a few days home, we're watching him 24-7. In the hospital, we're also 24-7, but at home, we're really, you know, three of us 
He gets a few more episodes. We're like, we gotta go back to the house. We go back to Colombia. This is a Thursday now, so it's like a week later. We get to Colombia, and the doctor says, we have to do a procedure on Tuesday. There's no other option. We said, okay, this is a Thursday. Thursday afternoon, the doctor comes back in and says, we can't wait till Tuesday. It's not gonna wait. It's not gonna, it's not gonna work. You're not gonna make it. We're gonna do it tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow, Friday morning. There's nine siblings in my family, all nine of us, plus all of our spouses, plus my mother, plus one random person who showed up. 20 people were in the waiting room of Columbia saying Tehillim, all about Tehillim books, and we're just praying and praying. Now it's time, they're gonna wheel daddy in. The doctor comes out. He says, I'm the oldest. I guess I spoke to him, even I don't know the most, my sister does. But the doctor comes out and says, I just want to be clear, it's one of the best in the world. Are you sure you want to do this procedure? I said, yeah, doc, we want to do this procedure. I said, one second, do you have any other options? He said, no, there's no other options. I said, so why answer this question? He says, I just want you to know this is very risky. The procedure is going to be put a stent in his back. It's very, very risky, and it really could not work. I said, but do you have another choice? He said, no, no, we don't have any other choice. So I said, okay, so then let's do it. He goes in. We're praying and praying in the waiting room. I remember the scene like five minutes ago. We're praying our hearts out. Doctor comes out. He says, it's much riskier than I thought. It's much scarier than I thought because it's higher up, I guess, the blockage. So are you sure you want me to continue? So I said, again, doctor, my old siblings are standing here. We all stand and say, doctor, can you please tell me, is there another option? He says, no, there's not. So I said, so then please continue. He goes inside. This is a real story. Mount Sinai Hospital. Not Mount Sinai. No, excuse me. Columbia. You know, I get to the same. Columbia Hospital. We go outside. We're crying. Our eyes out. We're Taylim. We're crying. We don't know what to do with ourselves. He comes out an hour or two later. It was a total of three hours. He comes out. He says, hi. We said, hi. He says, it didn't work. So it didn't work. He said, it didn't work. It didn't work. So now what? He says, I don't know. We're just going to monitor, but it didn't work. So now, my siblings and I don't even know what to do with ourselves. I'm a rabbi in the shul deal. They called me up. Can you come back to shul for Shabbat? I said, okay. Some of my siblings come back. Most of the spouses went back to deal. I went, and some of my siblings, and some stayed there. So now, Shabbat comes. I remember in shul, Friday night, sitting in the shul, Bay Yosef, and I'm like, trying to stop Mincha, and I'm crying, because because I, I said at the Torah before Shabbat, just to like, I don't know what to do. I, I, and now I'm like, we're helpless. We're here in deal. We're helpless. We're completely, my father's over there. I don't know if, what's going to happen the next day. The next day, Shabbat morning, I pray in the shul. I come out of the shul, and I stop at someone's house right there by the train tracks. His name is Nathan Hoffman. He wasn't involved in the medical back then as he is now. That actually was what got him involved. So we're talking by his, says, what story of your father? What happened? I told him, you know, we've rooted again. As the walking, Rabbi Ozeri from Deal Shul comes by. He says to me, he says, Joey. I said, what? He says, what's the story of your father? So I start telling him the story. He says, there's a doctor in Deal who hasn't been in Deal for years. And I don't think he's been in Deal since. He happens to be in Deal the Shabbat. He's connected to Mount Sinai and he knows doctors in Mount Sinai. There's a doctor in Mount Sinai who's like a cowboy type doctor. He'll do risky procedures. Talk to this man. We go 
to this man was staying in someone's house. We went to the man's house, had a conversation with the doctor. He says, I'm going to call, right now the doctor was Jewish. He says, I'm going to call the doctor at Mount Sinai. He says, I need your father's information now. We go home. We get on the phone, Shabbat morning, call my siblings that are in, in Colombia and said, we need daddy's information right now. I said, how are we getting daddy's information? He says, weekend. I said, I don't know. Get us the information now. So my siblings go, that are in the hospital, go downstairs in Colombia. They go find some random room, dark room, and they walk into the room. There's a guy sitting in the computer with the lights off, and the man says, what do you need? He says, we need our disc for our father. He says, no problem. I'll give you the disc. He gives the disc. They go down 10 minutes later to go say thank you to the guy. The guy's gone. They take the disc, they draw it, they get in a cab on Shabbat, they go to Mount Sinai Hospital. At Mount Sinai, they meet with this doctor that's friendly with the doctor who was in deal, who was a cowboy, and they're going to meet with this cowboy in the Starbucks on the downstairs of Mount Sinai. They meet with him, he says, I'm willing to look at it. You got to transfer him now. They call us, they say now, okay, I don't know how we got word back, I'm not, yeah, we're going to have, you have to find a way to get daddy transferred now, Okay. Um, now it's already Saturday afternoon. So now Shishita, I'm getting up to speak in bed. Yosef, someone walks in. One of my siblings walk into the shul. We got to move daddy now. So I get off the stage before I'm going to speak. I said, I don't know what to do. They said, okay, maybe Rabbi Rosario knows what to do. I go to Deal Shul. Deal Shul, the 600 people speaking in, in Deal Shul. Rabbi Rosario is speaking so Shishita to 600 people. In the middle of the speech, Nathan Hammond goes over to him and says, Rabbi, we need you now. So Rabbi Rosario tells everyone, I have to leave now. Gets off the stage, tells everybody, now home, you take over. Gets off the stage, gets on the phone, during Sudashi Yishit, on the grass, outside of the Yishul. He says, we're going to arrange the transfer. Long story short, my father transferred the next day. We're doing all this crazy work, transfers the next day. Doctor says, okay, let's monitor this. We're going to see if we should do the surgery. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're going to wait. We're going to wait. He said, doc, we came here for the procedure. We can't wait. He's having episodes. What, what are you doing? We're going to wait. We waited two months, and then we left the hospital. We never did the procedure. Never did the procedure. The doctor at Mount Sinai told my sister, after my father came home, he says, I need you to take a video of your father walking from one end of the room to the other, because I need to show my team what's possible. And he showed, we made that little video. My father you know, got up from this dining room to the living room, sat down, said thank you to the team in Mount Sinai Hospital, and they sent the video. Like We never saw anything like that happen before. We did so much effort, it had nothing to do with the results. We did so much effort, and it had nothing to do with the results. We watched, we sat there in the hospital those two months every day, watching the blood pressure and the thinners and the this and the food. We're watching, we're watching, we're watching, we're doing, we're on top of it. It did zero. Hashem decided the results. You need to see life that way. Now let me tell you an example with, with my son. So my sons go to yeshiva out of town. My two oldest sons go to yeshiva out of town. And Baruch Hashem, they were pretty successful in that yeshiva. Now it's time for my third son, who's... Not quite the same student as his two older brothers. He's going to go. Now, when he's already in fifth grade, this is for high school. So now when he's already in fifth grade, he's like, when I go to that yeshiva, the yeshiva is called Pisco Yeshiva. When I go to that yeshiva, when I go to Pisco, and we're looking, my wife and I look at each other, when you go to Pisco, like, I have no idea if you're getting in. Like, they take maybe 10% of the applicants. I, I, I don't even think you can make it. Like, uh, okay. 
Now it's eighth grade. I'm going to say it. We're just looking at each other, thinking it. Okay, eighth grade comes says, I'm going to take a test. I said, okay, you can take the test, but let's also test in another school because uh, I don't know. We take the test. He gets in. I'm not sure if it's because of Paul. I spoke at somebody at dinner. I don't know. Long story short, he gets in. Now this year starts. Ninth grade is this year. And I'm worried because I have no idea if this kid is up to being able to do this. I might have done complete daddy malpractice. Like, take my son, put him in a place that's completely beyond him, and try to stick in the end. Like, he's not, he comes home every other week, then he comes home once a month. I'm like, I, I, I am a lunatic. You agree? This is crazy? Good. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, I'm learning, I'm trying, I'm doing, I'm learning, I'm trying. I'm like, okay, okay, you're learning, you're trying, you're doing. Now, over the last few months, I got a little distracted, a lot of some other things. Whatever, I got distracted. Now, his rabbi, his rabbi's name is Rabbi Brock. He's, I think I mentioned last week, he's grandson of Rabbi Miller. He's like in his 60s, I think. His rabbi's trying to reach me, he's not reaching me. For a month, he's not reaching me. One Friday night, last, not this week, the week before, we're sitting at the table Friday night, and we're talking, we're talking about different things. We're talking about my son, how he's doing, yeshiva, this, that, whatever, right? All of a sudden, we get a knock on the door. I think it's my cousin, my, my nephews, my nieces from around the corner. It's not. The kids come back to me, Dad, there's a rabbi here for you. Who is it? It's Rabbi Brock. It's Shaul's ninth grade rabbi. I said, Rabbi, what are you doing here? You live in Peekskill. What are you doing here? He says, my mother lives here and I visit her every, all my siblings trade off. And so this is my week. And I decided that I need to come see you. He says, I got your address. I actually got the wrong block. I went to East 9th. I knocked on your address on East 9th. And the person whose house it is happens to be his daughter, is your daughter's best friend. So she knew where you live. She sent me to East 12th. And so I'm here to tell you how your son is doing. And he says, basically, it's a miracle. He said, when he started the year, he didn't even understand my jokes. <laughs> he says, and I don't know why now all of a sudden, he's into it, he's understanding, he's involved. He didn't become rocket scientist, but he's involved, and he's into it, he's getting everything, and he's really engaged, and it's like a completely different person. And I was looking at him, I was almost going to cry, and it's like, Hashem, I, we did nothing. We worried, we thought, we worked, we this. We almost ignored it, and then you solved it. Because work and results are not associated. So does that mean don't work so hard? Absolutely not. How do I know how much work I'm supposed to do? The answer is how much work Hashem puts in front of me to do. Which means when you're spinning your wheels, it's time to stop. But when you see that there's a lot of work that needs to be done, then you have to do that lot of work. And if it's eight hours a day, or 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, it might be a lot of work. If there's a lot of work that needs to be done, that means that Hashem wants you to do that lot of work. So He wants you to do a lot, a lot of work, not because He needs you for the result. He's handling the result. He's just setting you up for a lot of work. So if He sets you up for 25 phone calls and 12 meetings, then that's what He wants you to do. If that's what He sets you up to do, if He sets you up to build a house brick by brick, then that's what He wants you to do. So it's, now I'm not telling you work less. I'm just telling you put the work in the right context. See where the work belongs. Hashem's handling the results and He wants you to do the work. I said, uh, from the Magid of Kelm, He says, He said, we use the word sometimes, Bezrat Hashem. I'm going to do it, Bezrat Hashem, with Hashem's help. 
He says, Bezrat Hashem is the wrong phrase. Because Bezrat Hashem means that I'm, like, I'm doing it and he's going to help me out. He's not, Hashem doesn't get the assist. Hashem is Beritzon Hashem. Hashem is the one who wills it. He's not the one who's helping it. Bezrat almost sounds like he's helping out. No, he's not helping out. He's creating the results and he's setting you up to work. Because that's how he wants the world to be. That's why almost everybody has work in front of them to do. You have work with your families, you have work with businesses, you have work with community. Almost everyone has work in front of you to do because Hashem wants you to do work. But He's going to decide the results. And our parashah starts with Shabbat. And we gave a class last week all about Shabbat. That's not this week's class. But in the, in the parashah it says, Sheshet yamim Six days your work will be done. So the commentaries ask, first of all, why are you telling me about the work? I don't care about the six days. Just tell me about the seventh day. Tell me that Shabbat, the seventh day, the seventh day is a day of rest. Why are you talking about the six days? And then the word should be, you will do work. But it doesn't say that. It says, the work will be done. What does that mean? The work will be done. The answer is that you're not the doer. You're not the creator. You're not the producer. You're not the resulter. It's getting done. Hashem is the one who wants it to get done. And He's telling you, you need to have that frame of mind. And how do we know you have that frame of mind? If you could be calm on Shabbat. If on Shabbat you could stop. You could relax. And you could leave it up to Him. And you could have all the calm that comes from all of that faith that he's controlling the results. So I'm mentioning the six days of work because your six days of work are changed by how you keep Shabbat. That if your Shabbat is a day of stop and a day of calm and a day of release and a day of trust, then the six days of work are different because you're not you're not doing, doing, doing. You're You're getting the work that Hashem wants done. But Hashem is the one who's producing the results. In fact, I saw a few days ago with a man in the community who was involved in a really, really successful deal. And you know, whenever you hear about something really successful, a building that's built or things like that, you, you get like impressed. Or, right, a transaction or something like acquisition, you say, wow, it's impressive, it must be a real good businessman. So I'm talking to the person and I'm having this conversation and I'm saying to myself, at the end of the, I said to him, I said like, so basically like, this was totally a miracle. He says, yeah, if I'm honest, 100%. I said, even the people that are involved in the deal, like half of them are like, three quarters of them are along for the ride. I mean, they did their piece. They did their piece. This guy did a piece that was worth, you know, $100,000. This guy did a piece that's worth $75,000. This guy did a piece that's worth $150,000. And somehow it came together to be worth a half a billion dollars. I said, because you put in your work and Hashem decided their results. And then he says to me, he says, Rabbi, you cannot be more right. And sometimes we like want to see. So like maybe if it's working, it means Hashem wants it. And if it's not working, it means Hashem doesn't want it. You ever have that thought? Not like, oh, if my shoe didn't go on, it means he doesn't want me to go there. Or if I didn't find the parking spot, he doesn't want me to be there. Does that ever, you ever have it to you? If you get two red lights in a row, it's a bad sign. If you get three greens, it's a great sign. You've gotten this, yes? You could be, you could be making signs with Hashem like literally every day. The salad comes to you, it's got the wrong dressing. I knew I shouldn't have had the salad. Hashem's telling me I shouldn't have had it. Go for the steak. Every, everything, you're playing this game with Hashem all the time. No, it doesn't work that way. Hashem sets you up for work. When you're spinning your wheels, stop. When you're not spinning your wheels and there's more work to do, do it. I'll give you my example. So uh, a few weeks ago, 
or maybe a few months ago, I told you about my, my heroic moment of the month of September. My heroic moment of the month of September was the night that I went to sleep in bed, under the covers, cozy, all ready to go, nice, head on the pillow, turning over, about to go to sleep, and realized that I forgot to pray I beat. Do you remember that little story? And then I got up, and in seconds I got up, I changed, got dressed, head to toe, suit, tie, shoes, the whole thing, drove to Landau's, and prayed our beat, and a minyan. That's impressive. Because I easily could have got away with praying in, the, in my, my closet somewhere and not telling anybody. Pair of Uggs, Hashem would have been happy for sure. Correct? But I didn't. I drove all the way there and I know Hashem was on my side. You know how I know? Because I got every green light. Every single green. It was like perfect. I literally, it was 23 when I realized that I need to pray. And it was 30 by the time I was in my seat praying. Okay, so last Tuesday night, when I'm giving the class to these girls, and then I have to repair the Wednesday class, and all of a sudden, I'm going to bed, and about the same position, and I forgot our beat again. I said, I made a whole speech about it, I got to go to shul. So I got the whole dress, the whole thing, because I had a coat, so I ignored the tie, because the scarf could cover it up, and I get in my car, and I got every red, every red light along the way, every single one. Do you think that means Hashem didn't want me to go? The greens didn't mean he wanted. Sometimes he gives you assists. Sometimes he makes it more difficult. And especially when you're doing something good. Sometimes he makes it even more difficult. If you're spinning your wheels, then maybe you need to find a different route. But if you're working hard and he's setting you up to work even harder, then you know what? That's what Hashem wants. And I think this mentality needs to give you a lot of strength. Because where does the frustration happen? Most people's frustration is not in working hard. It's not so hard to work hard. Most people's frustration happens in the marriage between work and result. At that spot is where you get annoyed. How come I called seven Shat Khanim and I don't have a, a guy for my girl, my daughter? How come my daughter's dated 60 guys and still doesn't have someone to get married? How come I tried 17 interviews and I still don't have a job? How come my daughter went to Bonet Olam and all these people and still doesn't have a job? All those things are things where we say, one second, I worked, I worked, I worked. I don't mind the work, but what happened to the results? How come I'm not seeing? There's no delivery on the results. If you can have the trust that the work and the results are not affiliated. And that Hashem wants work. And sometimes He sets you up for very, very hard work. But He's going to decide the results. If you can believe that and live that, then life becomes a lot easier. It's very hard to do. And even if you feel it right now, you're likely going to forget it in five minutes from now. Or in an hour from now. It's part of the reason why we pray three times a day. Because we need to be reminded again and again. And it's why we need Shabbat every week. Sometimes you say, wow, Shabbat every week is, is very... It's very often, like it's every week. But the truth is, most of us feel by Tuesday that it's not often enough. Right or wrong? I can do Shabbat twice a week. I'm down right now. Wednesday and Saturday to be Shabbat. Who have, do I have any votes? We're all voting in, right? We'll take it. Because somehow, your Shabbat's not just because a day off. It's because Shabbat is a day of trust. His results. There's a beracha that Hashem gives our people. And he says, if you serve Hashem properly, need a few more minutes, 
in few parashiyot, they go parasham mishpatim. Vavaretem with Hashem alokechem, you're going to serve Hashem your God, and you follow His Torah, you follow His ways. Vasiroti mahala mikirbecha. I'm going to remove the disease from your heart. So the question is like, the guy didn't do anything wrong to deserve the disease. So why are you starting off with disease and I'm going to remove the disease? As if like it's assumed that there's a disease, you serve Hashem and remove the disease. What did the person do, God forbid, to, to earn it in the first place? So the Kitab Sofer, that's the son of Hatam Sofer, has a beautiful explanation. And he says the disease is not talking about regular diseases. That's not, we're not talking about regular diseases. Regular diseases that have symptoms, a person gets fever, a person is tired, a person is weak, a person has things on their body, something like that. People need surgery, stitches. We're not talking about that. He says, instead, what this pastor is talking about is a different disease that everybody is born with. This over-ambitious, unhealthy need to keep conquering and conquering and conquering. That's the disease. And almost every person has this disease inside of them to keep going to keep building, to keep fighting, to keep building, to be, keep being overwhelming. And that disease is really insatiable. And that's why we say in the, the most famous pasuk in Ashrez, open up your hands, What does that mean? Fill, satiate everybody's ratzon, everyone's need. What does that mean, satiate their need? It doesn't mean give them what they need. It means allow their needs to be satiated. Allow them to be able to feel content. Allow them to be able to feel like they're full. Allow them to be able to feel like they've done a great job. Allow them to not keep feeling like, I need to do more, I need to do enough, I need to do enough, I need to do more, I need to do enough. That is a disease. Hashem says, means I'm going to satiate that need. I'm going to calm down that need. There's no blessing better than that. To calm down that need. And that's why Hashem says, if you serve me, which means you trust me, hasiroti means I'm going to remove that disease. That disease that has no symptoms. That's why it's mikirbecha. It's within you. It's not saying that someone else can notice and someone else can see. It's not like someone says your face is red or your face is white. It's that disease that's inside of you that can't be satiated that Hashem says, I'm going to control that unhealthy ambition. And there's no greater blessing in the world than that. I want to give you one thought that I saw from a sefer called the Da Torah of Yerucham Lubavitz. He says this thought, and it's very powerful and strong, and if you give the backdrop of Kriyat Yamsuf, it becomes even stronger. He says that our forefathers had a great midah. Hashem said in the beginning of Parashat Va'era, that I appeared to you, I appeared to them, I never let them know the name Hashem. What does it mean? They knew Kel Shakai, but they didn't know the name of Hashem, Yud Kei He says, the Midah that our forefathers had is that they believed. They trusted Hashem in the results unequivocally, even though they never saw it in their life. Abraham Avinu passed away with a very small family. Yitzchak, an even smaller family. Yaakov Avinu passed away with a family in a foreign country. None of them passed away with the results. But they lived with the trust that Hashem is going to take care of the results. And he says 
and again, he could say it, I can't, that that's how Hashem wants us to live. That if you have something that's up in the air, you have something that you're waiting for, you have something that you're working hard towards, you have to fully believe that Hashem is going to deliver those results. Fully trust that He can deliver those results. I spoke the whole class about work and about the results are in His hands. Now you have to believe that He can really deliver those results. That is a very hard thing to do. To sit in the situation before you see the results at all and fully believe it. Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu, your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov, trusted my results even without seeing it at all. They trusted that I would deliver. That's how a Jew needs to live. With trust and faith and confidence that Hashem will deliver. And He's going to bring the results. But I'm not seeing it yet. He's going to bring the results. But I'm not sure yet. He's going to bring the results. You know what the greatest example of this? Is splitting of the sea. You have a, you, everyone here has an image of Kriyayam Suf in your head? Yes? Everyone has an image. And this is beautiful image based on all of your second grade child, children or grandchildren's stories about going through the sea and the sea all of a sudden, they jumped in and then it split. And the water was on both sides. And it was actually, it was the Midrash says there were 12 lanes and each lane had beautiful walls where you could poke and water comes out of the walls and there's fruits and vegetables and it's growing out and it's such a beautiful experience. That's what everybody thinks of when they think of splitting the sea. How beautiful is the greatest miracle to ever happen? How beautiful of an image you have in your mind of that time period? Isn't it so great, so wonderful? Here's what I think it was. Unbelievably frightening. Because the Egyptians were still alive. And the Egyptians believed while we were going through that they were going to go right behind us, which is what they did. They came in right behind us. Which means every Jew walking through his row and through his Shevet's lane is looking behind and sees Egyptians with chariots and, and, and spears and whatever else they got, all kinds of ammunition, coming right behind them and they have no protection. They have nothing here. They have just Egyptians coming right behind them. The entire time that they were walking through this greatest miracle of all time was the most frightening experience ever. So what was so great about it? What's great about it is that when you feel like Hashem is holding your hand and you're watching Him perform miracles and split a sea for you, then at that point you need to have the trust that He's going to figure out the result. He's going to figure out how to handle the Egyptians. And that's what living life with Hashem means. It means I'm going to go through incredible work. I'm not going to see the result uh, yet. I'm going to trust him that he's going to deliver the results. And even while the sea is split, and even while the Egyptians are coming right behind me, I am still going to believe that he is going to deliver the results. And I am confident and secure that he's going to deliver the results. It is incredibly difficult to live this way. Impossible. I can't tell you how hard this is. To try again, and you can maybe feel it for an hour, but to feel it and live that way, there are very few people that can live on this level. But that's the level. Hashem sets me up for hard work. He's taking care of the results. I am trusting Him that He's going to deliver the whole thing. Even when it's somewhat frightening. Even when I see the Egyptians right behind me. Abraham Yitzhak and Yaakov trusted in results, didn't even need to see them. So let me end with one last little analogy or story that I heard from Rabbi Biederman that I think is... Um, I think it's, it's pretty powerful. There was once a man who was walking by a field and he sees two people that are working in the field. One man is digging a hole. The second man fills the hole. 
Then he digs another hole. And then the second man fills the hole. Then he digs another hole. Second man fills the hole. Digs another hole. Second man fills the hole. The guy is walking by and says, these are two majnunim. These are two crazy people. What are you, what are you doing? So he goes over to them and says, guys, what are you doing? Digging a hole, filling a hole, digging a hole, filling a hole. What are you doing? He says, listen, the, the guy say, listen, here's what it is. Most days, there's three of us. I dig the hole. He fills the hole. And there's a third guy who puts the seed in between. He says, but today, the guy with the seed couldn't make it to work today. <laughs> so we figured we'll still do our job. I dig, he fills. <laughs> Digging and filling is only the setup for the seed. The seed does the producing. Doing the work without the seed is pointless. Emunah is that seed. Trust in Hashem is doing the work, but then stopping, whether it's on Shabbat or whether it's when you pray or whether it's in the middle of your work. And stopping and say, Hashem, I am entering your seed. The seed of results. The seed of produce. The seed of what's going to take place. The seed of finding the shidduch, finding the marriage, finding the child, finding the job, finding the business, finding the income, finding the solution. The seed, I'm leaving up to you. Six days of the week, I just get the work done. Whatever work you set me up to do, I am going to do all that work. If I see myself spinning my wheels... I'm pretty confident you want me to change courses. If I don't see spinning wheels, I'm going to keep working hard. And I'm going to keep working hard. And I'm going to keep working hard because that's what we're here to do. When Man Hashem created the world, He said, I'm going to control it and you're going to work in it. And every single day when we get up and we go and do whatever work the day has in front of us, we have to remember that that same decree that happened on day one is still true today. Hashem says, you keep working it and I'm going to keep controlling it. So as you dig the holes and fill them, make sure that you insert the seed. Thank you very much. Thank you.